The Beer EDU Podcast, episode 130, A Cog in the Machine with Casey Jacobowski. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, what is up, my friend? Hey, Ben, how you doing, buddy? I am good, and well, if you're here and I'm here, this must be another episode of the Beer EDU Podcast, episode 130, my friend. Yes, indeed, and it's our first one back after a bit yep. of a summer break, a little bit, yes. so um, we um, our recording is a little bit ahead of time, so we're, we're cheating right. a little bit, but that whatever, yeah. so, but, um, and because it is the Beer EDU Podcast, first introductions and then beer, so I am yes. Kyle Anderson, I am a special education facilitator in Las Vegas, Nevada, you can find me on Twitter, at Anderson EdTech, same thing with the Instagram, my blog is AndersonEdTech.net. Uh, taking a break from that for a little while as well. Uh, that's that's all right, though. And then I'm also the author of To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking, available on Edumatch Publishing, on Amazon, through barnesandnoble.com. And you, my friend, you are? I am Ben Dixon. I am a principal in Northern Nevada Elementary School. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untap at bdixonnv. And now that we have that, we have some beers. What do you got, my friend? Uh, today, I have something from Odell Brewing Company. It right. is a brewery out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, yep. And it is their Pulp Theory Hazy IPA, a 7.5 percenter at 45 IBU. Just a pretty standard hazy IPA, a little juicy, you know, not overpowering, uh, good on a hot day. You know, it is summer after all, so uh, real good for for a hot summer day. So, um, yeah. and you've actually got something relatively similar. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm talking like uncannily similar. Yes, very similar. So I went with Revision Local Brewery, which I have to go back as this is 130 episodes, but I don't think I've ever had this one. This is their Disco Ninja. They call it a Northeast style hazy IPA. Same as you, 7% ABV, 40 IBU. Again, you know, Easy, pretty easy drinking, um, you know, not overpowering or anything like that. Yeah, a good, a good hazy. I would say this is a, this is a solid representation of a hazy. Yeah, I've had that one at the brewery at Revision yep. in, in Reno. Um, always good. But here down in Vegas, they've actually got it on tap at the ice rink where I play. So nice. I get to the ice rink early enough, I'll go up and, uh, and get a can or not a can actually, it's on tap. So they all, I'll get a get a yep. draft of that uh, to have before hockey uh, on some nights if I get there early enough. This this is one that I've seen San Diego. I've seen it in San Francisco in Cannes. So it is one of their one of Revi- revisions. A pretty big brewer out west, so they're 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 pumping out some stuff. And this one's one you can get up and down the coast of California. Yeah, no, they've really expanded. Um, I think you and I were having a conversation at one point just on. I, I can't remember if it was. After a recording we did, or if we were on the phone or something, I doubt it's the phone though, because I mean we don't talk yeah. on the phone usually. But uh, whatever it was, we were talking about it. Where I was in Fresno one time and saw Revision yeah. beers at the gas station that I had never heard of. And I'm like, oh look at that! Yeah. So yeah, they have definitely uh, expanded their horizons a little bit. So for sure. But now that beers are out of the way, we have yes. a guest, and not only a guest but a, a returning return. guest. Yes. So our guest was actually on episode 72 here a couple of years ago. So. We're welcoming back Casey Jakubowski to the podcast. Casey, how's it going, my friend? Welcome back, Kyle. Casey. Hey, Ben, doing good. Uh, let me give you a huge shout out for my New York-based friends, families. Uh, we've got a Brooklyn brewery up here that's doing their own IPA. Oh, yeah. uh, the other one is, of course, Alma Gang. Can't go wrong yep. without Alma Gang. Then there's Adirondack Brew out of Utica, New York. Um Ithaca Brewing Company and Ellicottville Brewing Company. But the one thing I want to share with everybody, because you guys now have Jack Eichel down your way, take him. We did so much better on that trade. I'm so sorry, but a little bit of shot across the bow there for hockey. Um, right now, you're absolutely right. That trade's looking real good for Buffalo compared to uh, to, to Vegas. But Vegas, yeah. yeah. It was only it was only a third of the season, so we. we I'm, not, I'm not I'm not calling that one a wash just yet. No, no, 
you you guys got to get a chance to if you get the opportunity try out the amazing loganberry from crystal beach loganberry is an upstate new york thing where they okay. take a lot of really delicious stuff and make it into an amazing sweet drink it's mm -hmm. really a western new york staple but also more importantly it uh, for a lot of kids that grew up in our areas that are our age, they went to Crystal Beach. That was like the summer thing. Um, okay. Also, uh, it's uh, the Loganberry stuff, just absolutely amazing. The other huge shout out I want to give you guys is to Brooks Barbecue out of Oneonta, which is right near Omagang in Cooperstown. Talk about mwah, chef's kiss, chicken, ribs, barbecue, and marinade. Oh, my gosh. Now, for our friends in Kansas City and down in the South, nothing can compete, but Brooks <laughs> Barbecue's da bomb. You got to try it out. But Sounds like I need to fly into Buffalo yeah. and rent a car and just drive the I-90 corridor and just go places now because all of that sounds incredible. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to go visit my daughter in Brooklyn and then rent a car and drive north. Yeah, you just <laughs> go the opposite direction. There you go. We'll meet in the middle. Sometimes yeah, there we go. Meet in Syracuse or something like that. So. Right. You know geography. Let's not forget the southern tier like Binghamton, Elmira, Olean, some of those places which are off the beaten path. Like I write about, you know, in my books on rural education, right. amazing places. And, you know, I got to tell you guys, talk about the hops industry coming back. Um, I can smell the grapes in Fredonia, which is where I went to college south of Buffalo. But you get into central New York, there is just wall of hops in the field. It is so great to see these farms coming back, to see the kids going to school. They're asking questions about farming. They're asking questions about business. Um, I, I saw a 19-year-old is starting up an organic hydroponic farm for hops. He wants to get into craft brewing, which he's actually able to do before he can legally drink it. So I think we're going to see an explosion of craft brews out of New York really soon. Nothing wrong with that. So, but no. once again, welcome back. Yes. Since, uh, it has been since episode 72 since you've been here. So now, um, just to give people a refresher in case they had not listened to that episode or because it was so long ago. So Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you don't have a beer um, for various reasons. Uh, you can explain if you want to or not. Sure. It's okay. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What yeah. do you do? Um, all of that good stuff. Sure. So I have a PhD in Ed Policy Leadership Studies. Um, I consider myself a um, slightly used social studies teacher because I was a high school social studies teacher. Uh, very pleased and proud of the fact that um, I work very closely with our special education department, school district administrator for a while. So Kyle, Ben, I owe you one. Please just let me know your favorite beverage of choice and I may ship it out to you guys because we're all working hard. Uh, I do some consulting work through my consulting company, CTJ Solutions, LLC. I've got a website. Just Google my name, Casey Jacobowski, I pop up. And I'm on Twitter at uh, KCJ underscore EDU. That's the best way to follow me. Um, I try to be pithy. I try to be interesting. I've got a, a, a really um, amazing career where I've done uh, high school, college, state education curriculum. But the most important thing that I really believe in, and um, this is what I truly am so angry about, is that we waste so much talent and that we have to do a better job of talent development, talent growth, talent promotion. And uh, I, I actually, I wrote my second book from Edumatch to follow up on my first one. My first one's called Thinking About Teaching, and that was my quest as a rural social studies teacher for relevance, because I always thought social studies got short shift. And I talk in that book, Thinking About Teaching, about how we can do a better job to teach social studies in my career as a rural educator. Well, as you guys know, working with Sarah Thomas, the amazing Doc T, congratulations and shout out on the incoming little one, since uh, she is uh, going to have a baby very soon with her husband. Dr. Thomas said, you gotta write a second book about your career, because this is fascinating. So I did, I wrote a cog in the machine and I talked about my career. 
And I help people try to understand their path. And one of the points that I always say is something that I think we forgot is don't be perfect, be present. But more importantly, and this is where I think we've got to dig down and dig deep, is why are we always competing against each other when we should collaborate? And I want everybody, especially our educators, to know it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a community to have a school. And I think we've kind of lost that, and I think we need to get back to it. COVID-19 knocked us for a loop. It really did. And it showed what happens when the community doesn't support its educators. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that one. So um, now, tons of questions about the new book. And then you even teased possibly a third one a little bit. Before I we do. Recording. So I, we definitely want to get into that, too. So but before we do that, let, let's let's refresh a little bit on the first book a little bit. And then when you were on the first time around, you talked about being a rural educator and and um, right. like the challenges with that. And then but also the positives of that as well. So. I, I don't want to spend an entire episode because people could always go back and re-listen to the episode. But but I do, if you could, just kind of rehash a little bit about that experience as a rural educator, the, the importance of uh, your passion behind it, and then also that first book, Thinking About Teaching. So what's, what's really cool, Kyle and Ben, is that both books really complement each other because thinking about teaching gives you what I call bathroom breaks or put the kids down breaks, or I've got 15 minutes between class breaks, short, short chapters about ideas. And one of the best points that I wanted to raise in it as a rural educator is that we're doing some crazy, amazing stuff out there, but nobody's really talking about it because it's happening for a bunch of people who are like, oh, shucks. I just happen to have a classroom full of pheasants that I'm teaching the kids how to raise and we're going to let them go. Or I'm doing some amazing work with the upper Susquehanna River, which flows down into Philadelphia and down by Washington uh, about the pollution levels. But nobody's able to tell this narrative because they're so busy doing their jobs. So we all need hype people. We all need press agents. We all need somebody to go you to bomb, you to do, you the man, or you the woman. And so I felt that by trying to get a little bit of these stories out through authentic voices, through thinking about teaching, I could get people to go, you know, that's a cool idea, let's do that. And then I fill in some of the blanks in my A Cog in the Machine, my second book, that I tell how I got to that point, how these ideas just, uh, one of my students at uh, Oneonta said it perfectly. She's like, Dr. J, you are like a waterfall of ideas. It's crazy. It's in the mist. It's fallen down off the cliff. It's taken away the rocks because you are just knocking stuff out of the way with these cool ideas. How'd you get to that point? And I said, it's because I have fallen down more times than I can count, but I've gotten up one more time than I fell down. And she was like, whoa, that's profound. And I said, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> But one of the points is, is that we've got to realize is this, is that, you know, I don't drink beer because I'm a diabetic. Shout out to the American Dis uh, Diabetic Association. But also a lot of people look at me and they're like, but you're not disabled, Casey. And I'm like, yeah, I actually I do. I have a life altering disability. And it's funny, guys, because my doctors have a sensor attached to my phone that scans a little device on my arm. And it lets me know that right now my blood sugar is 154, which is great for after dinner. But it also means I can't have alcohol. Right. But what I can do is I can shout out those amazing breweries for being awesome and amazing. But what it means is that we got to try to do better. We got to help right. people. Well, and I think you made it, that's a great segue because that, that first book is about, yeah, what are you doing? We need to celebrate what you're doing, but also don't forget about where you came from. And that that's part of getting you to that point. So did you find yourself, was it easier to write the second book because you're telling your story? I mean, how that, how, how was that process? So Sarah and a few other people said, wow, you have such an engaging style. 
Dr. Martha Aslan, shout out to her at SUNY Albany and my dear friend, Nancy Hinckley, who is an unretired, re-retired, well, she got bored, so she unretired and is back teaching special ed again. They said, you, you, you've got to tell people the story. And so then, Kyle, I let it flow. And I, I, I have these ideas and I wrote it. And I wouldn't say it was easy, but the path was definitely more predictable because what I was able to do is go, you know what? The first time I did this, I wasn't really very clear about how this science and technology and humanities came together. Maybe I've got to talk about the fact that I was a substitute teacher in a school for an entire year. And one day I was in physics, another day I was in third grade, another day I was music, I was in tech, I was in chemistry, I was in social studies, I was in English. And I had basically over 180 days, 180 different experiences that no educator gets unless they're in that position. And so I saw what was going on simultaneously grades K through 12. And wow, there are so many places where stuff just like, it's like a meteorite. It hits each other and it blows up. And it's like, whoa, that's amazing. But with the way we do stuff, we're very tracked in education. And I think it takes people who are like our educators and our administrators who really get to see the bigger, broader picture. I got to do that as a punk 22-year-old fresh out of college. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think you really hit on something. And that's something I know we've talked about on the show and, and is, is that like Kyle's role, currently my role, we do get to see the bigger picture of, of what goes on across a school or in multiple schools. And I think you're right. I don't think, I don't know if we as a system, as an educational system, you once, like you said, once you get your teaching job, then you're in your room and maybe you collaborate, hopefully you do with your grade level, or maybe it's with your department, but like how often do high school teachers get to go visit a third grade classroom or, or a third grade teacher get to visit a physics classroom? It doesn't happen. And, and one of the other areas is that I also took a bit of a break and I taught at Rensselaer Polytechnical Institute and I taught education differently because I was in deeply embedded in engineering design courses with leadership. I was the leadership teacher. I wasn't the engineer, but I got to see engineers and computer scientists and physicists students. And I got to work with people where we did something called design thinking. And one of the big areas that we often, I think as educators forget is that so many of us go from elementary to middle to high school to college to our teaching job. For those of us who have taken a long and winding path through side jobs, or if we've had an opportunity where we're in second or th third careers, the level of experience and knowledge and just understanding the world outside is so critical and so important. We got to get more people to see outside of the system because you know what an egg crate classroom system is? It's preventing the eggs from becoming a cake. That's a great analogy right there, how, uh, how you yeah. put that. So, and, and I also like the alliteration that you used in the title of your book too, A Cog in the Machine. So um, now at first glance, if you didn't read the second half of that title, um, like me, I would have instantly thought like some sort of science fiction novel or something like that, but, but there's more to it. And, uh, the second half of the title of the book really kind of tells the story and I may have kind of given something away with that. So, so how did that idea come up with, uh, like the cog in the machine that you wanted to use as the title of the book that, and then tie into the book? Yeah, I, I, Kyle, I love your question because it's, it's a little bit of, um, my kind of, um, gentle flip off of the system. So as, as teachers, we often are like, oh my God, we have 180 days of lessons. We got to do this stuff. Oh, it's the same stupid thing. We're going to have the fire drill third period today. Oh, I've got Billy's younger brother. Why? Or, oh, Susie's coming into class. Ah, right. And, and you have these ideas and you're enthusiastic and you'll run through a wall and you'll run. And after a while, it just feels like, 
I turn the button with my right hand. I turn the button with my left hand. Or, you know, you're filling out paperwork and you're just like, why am I filling out these reports that are electronic dead? And so when I say the cog in the machine, what I mean is, is that this, a finely made watch with the littlest cog or sprocket can either keep time in perpetuity or if it just wobbles off a little bit, everything will stop. And so what I think is that I want a journey and I want people to understand that they are a little cog, but that little cog, when it's given the opportunity to turn a bigger cog or a bigger sprung or a bigger, or a bigger whatever, because I'm forgetting the technical terms right now, you have the opportunity to create a perpetual motion machine because your students will have been imprinted by your slow, gentle clicks and turns and supports. Well, and on top of that as well, we, we've all probably seen this meme before or the story or whatever, where if you were to die today, there would be somebody else in your classroom tomorrow. So that's just the way the system's gonna work. But taking that morbid comparison out of the picture right here, comparing yourself to a cog in a finely tuned machine would also mean though that if you were to die today, you're, it's not going to be the same. It's not just going to be like, let's just throw somebody else in there and it's just going to continue to work. So by doing what you do, you, you are an important piece and that you're not just replaceable like that meme or that story likes to try to say. So mm -hmm. does that make sense? Teaching is an art disguised as a science wrapped up as a practice because in reality, right? And I want to stop for a second and I want to call to our memories, the educators we've lost in these past decades and how many children we've lost because we need to protect our teachers and our schools, be it from violence, be it from illness, be it from political pressure to follow a script. We cannot keep throwing people away. We cannot keep saying, ah, the United States, we will not value education. Because as a historian, I will tell people, after World War II, Germany and Japan educated their citizens. In Africa, they are standing up universities. They are creating educational opportunities across the world. And our service people, many of them who gave their lives, did it so that little girls could go to school or little boys didn't have to fight in a war. And yet we're telling colleges and universities, nah, we're not gonna fund you. We're telling elementary schools, we're not gonna make sure you have air conditioning even though it's 95 degrees for the entire month of June. I think we have a moral obligation to remember that yes, each human is worthwhile, but we also have an imperative to tell others that this cannot be done cheaply. And it cannot be done by continuously chewing through the system, right? Because what happens if you get caught in a machine full of cogs? You get chewed up and spit out, right? Pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic, 50% of teachers left the profession by year five. Yeah, that's that's super scary. And I, I, I mean, do, I, I would be interested to see what it looks like now because we all know it was hard before. It got super hard the last two years. And I, I think you're right. I think we have to, as a system, look at 
at all our educators and, and, and how can we keep them in this profession? Cause it is a profession and, and how do we, how do we value what they do, but also at the same time, you know, ensure that people have a living wage, ensure that people have healthcare and those kind of things. I mean, just this year, I had a first year teacher um, who was amazing, but she ends up teaching and working at the Nike store. I'm like, that's messed up. Like that mm-hmm. should never happen. She should be able to hone her craft and not have to worry about leaving school to then go work just to pay her rent. Or to get a graduate degree. Well, there's that too. Yeah. What is the cost of higher ed at this point? I I would be super interested to see like, what is it going to look like for those teachers? Let's just take administrators out of it. Cause there's a many, many great teachers that have no desire to be an administrator, but then they want to get that curriculum masters or they want to become, you know, more proficient in the, in the content area. There, there is a fine, there is a legitimate financial barrier to those people pursuing that. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, Ben, I love that point because um, as a college educator who was responsible for pre-service teacher education, I looked at all of my students and I said, please don't take the first job, take the right job. And that's something that I talk about in both of my books, A Cog in the Machine and Thinking About Teaching is that there is a lot of places where not only are there systemic issues, but you've got to get a feel of the place. And one of the points that I think is so crucial is in my book, ACOG, I actually write a chapter about four types of bullying. Because not only did I get bullied as a kid in school, and it took a while to get over it, but I got to tell you, there was a lot of adults in a lot of buildings they're bullies. And I hate to say this, but, you know, when we say, oh, you know, so-and-so in room 203, avoid them in the faculty room. Well, yeah, Kyle and I will tell you this as an educator, that it sucks that we can't go to somebody like Ben and say, let's do something about this. And I'm sure, Ben, you know it because everybody's got those horror stories of, oh, yeah, I got so-and-so in this department that just blows everything up. And, you know, again, it goes back to the fact of we've got to stop as the adults. You know, we all graduated from school. We all went to college. Some of us, and you're absolutely right, we don't have the finances to go back to get additional training and certification. But I think a lot of it is that after you see nonsense, you start to go, why am I doing this? You know? And, and, and part of it is, is that if you had that opportunity to go maybe for a specialist degree where you become a teacher mentor or you become a curriculum department chair or you do something where you can go on to help, you can, you can do a little bit more then. Because, you know, we're, we're one of the few professions where what you do on day one doesn't look radically different than day last. Well, and then on top of that, we you, we talk about all these barriers and the lack of funding and everything. And then, you know, we could totally get into things like the student loan debt crisis as well, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But um, I did hear a great analogy the other day where you've got a lot of people that are for the government taking care of the student loan debt, just wiping it out completely, a clean slate. But then others will argue and say, but what about those that paid theirs off or whatever? And the, the response to that that I found really intriguing and, and it made a lot of sense was you don't, you're, no, no system is perfect and not everybody's going to benefit from something like that. So um, for and the example they used was we have the GI Bill for service people that can get an education now, whether it's while they're still enlisted or after they get done. We can't go back to the soldiers, the sailors, the Marines prior to World War II that didn't get the GI Bill. Okay, no, they didn't get that. That's unfortunate, but we're not gonna hold the GI Bill back because they didn't get it. And that was the analogy they used on the student loan debt crisis. And I thought that was a really great comparison mm-hmm. right there. And then and there's some other comparisons you can make as well, because you're right, the system is not going to be perfect, but 
know, there's a lot of issues and a lot of it revolves around money when it comes yep. to these things. And then, well, and then there's the time factor as well, because mm -hmm. it seems like, especially in the last couple of years, educators in general just have more and more on their plate. Mm -hmm. More stuff is being thrust onto their plates. They're not given more time. They're not given monetary compensation for that either. So, so it's a, it's a broken system that needs to be fixed, but I mean, I still have hope that it can still be done. Yeah, and I think the right. first place we start is in student teaching. Pay student teachers, mm. number yes. one. 100%. Number two, number two. if you're not paying the cooperating teachers, pay the cooperating teachers. And number three, give everybody release time if they're cooperating teaching. You know, but at the same point in time, the cooperating teachers can't just go to the faculty room and, you know, sit there and do the newspaper like they they've got a coach. They've got a mentor. And that takes a lot of effort, you know. But the other area, I think, too, um, Ben and Kyle, is let's also talk about this fact when it comes to the system, which I talk about in the cog of the machine is this. The federal government became so enamored with compliance and I was a compliance officer. But I started to say, you know what? We can't do this damn deficit model all the time. We got to start talking about strengths-based work. And, you know, Simon Sinek, who's one of the leading gurus in the business world, um, I think we should be reading him and not Duckworth and Dwight on grit. Because, you know, I, I understand you got to have grit. And I got to understand you got to have a growth mindset. But at the same point in time, Sinek says something so profound, which he says that, all the best businesses and all the best people coach on a positive mindset. And they coach not on a growth mindset, but on a, what do you do well? Keep doing that, right? How many times, Ben, as an administrator, you walk into a room and you think, I'm having trouble finding anything that this person could improve on. Or Kyle, how many times did you have somebody walk into your classroom and go, yeah, you probably should use the green marker instead of the blue marker. And you're thinking they're literally juggling flaming chainsaws here and <laughs> I, I can barely get them to sit still at the beginning of the semester. Not to cut you off, my favorite was whenever yeah. I go into a post-op and it was, why didn't you have an objective written on the board? Um, that thing that um, the kids aren't going to read anyway? Um, right. No, I'm not. Like, you can tell me that all day long. It's I'm not changing. I'm not well, going to have that written right. up there every day. So sorry. And we can probably do a whole show about the fact that the drive-by observation is a it, that's doomed from the start. If you don't know, if you don't know what your teachers doing, what teachers are doing from the first day to the last day, then you're not in their classrooms. So I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, luckily, luckily, I will say this: uh, at the place I'm at now, it's definitely in the past. I've seen that. Not, not, not in my current situation. And, and, you know, one of the areas that I think we need to stress in, too, is that the kids and the teachers are scared, right? If you look mm -hmm. at education writ large, everybody mm -hmm. is scared because we've turned education instead of a successful place to experiment and uh, find knowledge yes. and, and have a wonderful time. Now it's about compliance and completion and credentialism and eek, you know? When, when I was earning my doctorate, the one thing I thought was, why do you keep asking me to re do revisions on a document where literally I am telling an untold story? And I think in education, we forget that as the adults, our job there is to go, here is a map, here is a compass, Okay, now that you've done that, let's show you how to use a GPS. Okay, now that you've done that, what are we going to do so that you can, as a student, find a problem that you want to pull your hair out and using the tools, you're going to change the world. I saw something on Facebook that made me cry with inspiration the other day. Right now, somewhere in the world, a little child is reading a book about bad things happening and they are making plans to change the world. It, I got goosebumps thinking about that, right? I saw that same one. I, I did. Yeah. No, yeah. It, yeah. I'm actually goosebumping right now after you mentioned it again. Yeah. It, yeah. Go, yeah. Continue. Sorry. Because well, I, 
Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. Well, no, and I think to your point is that that we've. I, I, I mean, we could we could spend hours talking about civil discourse and education at this point. And when you, your point to teachers being scared, educators being scared. I mean, no. I, I mean, in my career, twenty five years in, it, at no point have can I remember where like teachers are afraid to say something to present ideas to kid not to kids, not saying that you have to believe this, but to present ideas for fear of somebody coming back at them for presenting an idea mm -hmm. that that's a super scary time it is and it goes into what i i talk about with civics versus civility versus you know the the work and the and i want to share with this thought all those people who think they're going to outlaw books um my uh my my goddaughter is going into sixth grade and she went to the vet with mom and their one dog who has separation anxiety. And my lovely goddaughter said, I don't know what that is. And so she pulled out her iPad, hopped on the internet, found out why her dog was shaking and running in between her legs and pooping on the floor. And she read all of it and was able to explain to her mom and dad, and now her mom's a fourth grade teacher, mind you, um, why their dog had separation anxiety and what they needed to do as a family to help the dog with separation anxiety. She's going into sixth grade, y'all. So here's my thought, right? Let's start getting back to a discourse where we are not trying to be polite for polite sake, but we are actually having conversations where we could knock down, drag out, call each other names, but that would do nothing. What we got to do is we've got to agree that we want the United States to lead the world again in human rights, in healthcare, in scientific inquiry and experience. We want our students who are most at risk because for some reason, they were born with some physical, emotional, or mental part that through no fault of their own, didn't quite come out quote normal. And if we start looking at the fact that children with Down syndrome are some of God's own children who love and who do and who create, and yet they're told that they're not good enough, oh, when I was growing up and I wrote about Danny Nykase in my book, he earned his Eagle Scout along with Doug Hensler. Why? Because they could do the work. They earned their Eagle Scout. I had local people and scouts say, nope, they shouldn't be part of an honor society because there were special needs. Now, mind you, this was back in the 90s. So my younger brother, who has a few learning disabilities, but not nearly as bad as Danny and Doug. He was voted into this honor society. And I was elected the vice president. And I said, yes, they're eligible for election. Yes, they're a candidate. They won overwhelmingly. Every single boy in the troop voted for them to get in. And you know, when they were told, mm, we don't think you're gonna be able to hack this camping trip, their fathers, my dad, every single adult leader got on the phone and called all their friends because they said, your vice president wants this to happen because he believes that those two young men deserve this opportunity. And I pissed some people off, but Ben and Kyle, I was willing to die on that hill for Doug and Danny. And I think that as educators, we got to talk about what does it mean to be part of a civil society? And it starts with giving everybody the opportunity, standing up for what you believe in, agreeing you can disagree, but you cannot be disagreeable and you cannot degradate. You can't deny, you cannot denigrate. Sorry, I used the wrong word. You cannot make people feel like they don't belong because everybody has a right to be safe and full and fulfilled. I think one of the silver linings out of, you, you mentioned the, the, 
the rash of book banning that's been going on in the country as of late. The silver lining behind that is that I liken it to the kid that comes home with a specific type of music or an album and the parents find it and they say, absolutely not. I was not one of the, my parents, I mean, they didn't necessarily want me to listen to some of the stuff because of the language in it or whatever, but I was never told, you know, no, you can't listen right. to that. Or, you know, I didn't have like, I, I know friends growing up that where parents found, I, I still remember one of my friends, uh, mom found a Pantera album and snapped the CD in half in front of them. Um, so, you know, I was not that kid. My parents were very, they, they were cool about that kind of stuff. But the more you push back on a kid because of the music or if you tell, you know, a young girl, you can't date that boy, what's going to happen? They're going to go find more music like that. They're going to date that kid even harder as a result yeah. of that. The silver you, lining you, is now people are seeing these lists of books. Kids are going to want to want to read them now. Why is 100%. this? I have to read this now. Yeah. Um, Critical race theory is this horrific thing, quote unquote, air quotes right now, that's being banned in all these places. More and more people are looking it up and figuring out what exactly it is and learning that it is absolutely nothing what the people that are trying to ban critical right. race theory, what, what it really is. So that's the silver lining to all that, yeah. at least in my opinion. So I 100%. say if, you, if, if you're one of those people that's trying to ban this stuff, you, you know what, go ahead, ban away. Because you're just going to expose it to more people, in my opinion. Not only that, but they've ticked off the librarians. Huge oh, yeah. shout out to the American oh, yeah. Association. Because God love those librarians. Because I will tell you something. I told my class of teachers, uh, pre-service teachers, I actually, we went to the library for a day, every single class. And we talked with a librarian. And I said, folks, librarians can run circles around people who are complaining about a book because they know how to address this. And that's something that I think we've got to do a better job of is we've got to work together. You know, we've, we've got to rely on each other and we've got to go out and, and, you know, it's illegal in New York for teachers to go out on strike, but there is nothing to say we can't go information picket if a librarian is being laid off at the public library, or if some other member of a profession is being told, you know what, we don't need you. Because over in France, if they wanted to raise the retirement rate one year, every single person went out, the farmers drove their trucks into the cities and sprayed the parliament building with manure because they thought it was a crappy proposal. <laughs> you know, literally so, and figuratively. Yeah. So we got to support each other. And, you know, and, and here's the thing like about the music, right? If you look at some of the songs they were singing during the American revolution, those were horrible ditties with such triple entendre in it. I mean, Yankee doodle for goodness sakes. That is an American patriotic song that is rife. So, you know, one of the things we also have to do is I think we've got to start talking about why are you afraid of talking about history? Why are you afraid of having conversations about saying, no, we only want the, the positivist narrative? You know, the, the, the slogan of a previous person who ran for office, we got... We always want to improve, but we don't want reactionaries, right? And I think part of the point that we have to look at is at the fundamental basics of it. Education is teaching people how to look at each other and go, you know what? I, I need to understand where you're coming from. I, I'm hurt by what you said. Can you explain it to me? And I know that it's difficult to have controversy or conflict. We are conflict avoiders as a profession, right? But, you know, one of the biggest things that I realized when I was teaching engineers and scientists is they hate conflict too. Everybody hates conflict. You know who's really good at conflict? Nobody. Who gets paid really well for conflict? Lawyers. So what yep. we got to do, right? 
what we've got to do is we've got to say, I feel uncomfortable in the classroom, but it's an uncomfort because we're exploring intellectually deep issues. We're not saying to somebody who looks different, you don't have a right to belong or you don't have a right to an opportunity. Because in the United States for a very, very, very long time, you could leave your community and sometimes they would help you leave. I mean, for goodness sakes, Rhode Island was founded specifically because a group of people are like, peace out, we're out of Massachusetts. You know, out where you all are in the West, oh my goodness, it was cowboys out there. Oh yeah. You know, miners, folks who are, who, who the East was like, please go shoo, <laughs> you know, but, but at the same point in time, what we need to think about is this. As teachers, we have a student who's sitting in the back of the classroom who they're afraid that somebody's going to tell them that they're not worthy to live. And if we don't say, all of my kids are worthy of life, all of my kids are worthy of opportunity, I may be teaching the next first whatever to go up on a spaceship. Or I might be teaching somebody who is going to save a life in the back of an ambulance. Or I might be teaching somebody who is going to ensure that no child gets sick at school because they are one of our amazing custodial staff, right? And shout out to the custodial staff because my God, these past two years, holy smokes, like they made those buildings that were in some instances falling apart, being held together by spit and twine and chewing gum, they made those places safe. No, absolutely. So, I mean, my school is 57 years old, I believe. You'd never know it because they just, our custodial staff makes it look so incredible. So Same here. Now, Casey, so you've got these two books. You've got Thinking About Teaching. you got A Cog in the Machine. Where can people find them? Where can people connect with you to talk about these books a little bit more after reading them, of course? And then you did tease a little bit about a third book coming. So we would love to hear about sure. a little bit of all of that as we're starting to kind of wind things down here. Sure. First of all, I, I want to say that um, go to Amazon, but make sure you have wish list turned on on Amazon. Help a charity out, charity of your choice. Second of all, um, please do a uh, clear the list for teacher wish list on Amazon. I would be super happy if people didn't buy my book, but instead made sure a third grade teacher in New Hampshire got uh, stuff for her classroom, especially because she's going to be teaching for the first time. But if you do want to read my book, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, at EduMatch. Um, also, if you need a great book, Try Equo Moses, My Name is an Address, phenomenal children's book. And also, if you think you're going to have a little bit of trouble with um, conversations around saying I'm sorry, Melanie McAllister's The I'm Sorry Story, both from Edge of Match Publishing. Oh, I love those. And if you are a teacher and you're feeling burnt out and Casey's a cog in the machine or thinking about teaching ain't doing it for you, Mandy, Mandy Froelich, The Fire Within. She is phenomenal. She's got a great book. It teaches you how to re-engage. And they're all Edumatch authors because Dr. Sarah Thomas founded us on one thought. Let's get those authentic voices out there. We don't need <clears throat> some stuff where <clears throat> people who are getting paid multiple millions of dollars to just show up and wave on the stage. Uh, and um, well, you know. Anywho, I'm not going to name names because <laughs> I don't want to get you all in trouble. Um, the other area is that if you want to... We all know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, please go to um, Twitter and follow me at KCJ underscore EDU. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I really don't put stuff there. Uh, I have a blog, but I'm more in recycling mode because I am working on that third book. And uh, the, the name is shifting a little bit because a dear friend of mine, Aaron Sorensen, who's the director of the Catskill Regional Teacher Center, said, oh God, Casey, this is such an academic name. Get rid of it. And he suggested a new acronym. 
and I'm going to let the that pause, dun, dun, dun. But there's a new acronym that asks people to look at humanities, STEM, and social sciences back together. And I give concrete examples in this book of how I think education drifted from the path of authentic experimental learning and is going back by reintegrating social studies, history, humanities, and STEM and STEAM. Because one of the things that we do is when we silo, we take away those brilliant, oh, moments, right? And we know this because we're old enough. How many of you undergrad librarian times, you went in to look for a book and you started to look at the shelf and by kismet, you found a book that changed your life. Or you went into a dollar uh, uh, used bookstore and a, 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 just a cover just popped at you and you bought it and you read it and you're like, that was serendipity. I think we got to do more serendipity. Mm -hmm. And the best one I have in there, and I co-wrote this chapter with my dear mentor, Nancy Hankley, is how to use cemeteries to teach it all. Whoa, that's a tease right there. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? At the end of the day, I think this book is going to give people hope and inspiration. And it's going to give them concrete examples of how to go in and put this all together. And, and I wrote it from the perspective, Ben and Kyle, for specifically an administrator or for a special ed teacher, because Kyle, I don't know how your life's been, but, and Ben, I don't know how your life's been, but I know when I was working for the state and I was going into ELA and then math and then science and then art and facts and all the, and I was like, oh dear Lord, I don't know what's going on. And I just, I, 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 I now see how it all works together. And this is a cool, and again, it's, it's a sit down, go to the bathroom or pick it up and read it when you got 10 minutes or, you know, you can, um, as a, as a professional development PLC, pick it up and read it. I think it's really good because I wrote it. <laughs> humble brag, yo. Shameless there plug. Shameless right plug. On. So. No problem there, man. Not at all. So, well, Casey, man, yeah. thank you for coming back, joining us again. Yes. You know, I, I, I was blown away with a second time. Yeah, I was blown away. I look back and like, wow, that was seventy-two. That was yeah. quite a while ago. Yeah. So it has been a while. Yeah. My my parting final thought for you is this: If you are a teacher, if you know a teacher, if you're living with a teacher, don't give them chocolate. Don't give them a back rub. Don't give them a foot rub. Put your hands on your shoulders. Look in their eyes and say, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you that day in and day out, you take between 15 and 20 some little lives into your hand and you get them to go anything's possible. And you know, Ben, for your staff, please tell them the same thing. And I know you do. Yeah. And, and Kyle, there is a special place in heaven for special ed teachers because you take on the challenge that the general education teachers go, oh crap, well, we don't know what to do. And you, and you guys, as a profession with a plum, go in day in and day out and literally save lives. Because special ed, you know, special ed kids, they can get off a path super flipping easy because the kids in their school don't understand and they don't understand what's happening to them. And thank you guys so much for giving me this opportunity in this platform to say, I am super proud of you educators for getting up day in and day out. And even if you grumble, or even if you gotta have that extra shot of espresso, not giving up. Well said. Thank you again, Casey. And listeners. Thanks, Casey. Let's keep this conversation going. Share your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us at beeredupod and then hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook at beeredupodcast. It's all one word. Like that page. You can follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. 
And then you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash beeredu YouTube, where you can see all episodes streamed live as we record them. Same with our Facebook page. We stream them there as well. And again, make sure you're following Casey on Twitter at KCJ underscore EDU. And then leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts so more can yes. find the show. And then, Ben, for those that would be interested in joining the show as a guest, what do they have to do? Yeah, just go to that website, beeredupodcast.com. Click on the contact and subscription info link. Get your name in the queue. We would love to have you on to talk about what you're passionate about in education and, and what you do and, and share everything amazing that's going on with your professional career. And then we would be remiss if we didn't thank some people for, for really for promoting Beery to You podcast. School Rubric, they feature us. Um, the mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students tell their stories so stakeholders can make best choices about enrollment, staffing. So go to schoolrubric.org, find tons of other content from educators around the world. And then we're super proud to be part of the Codebreaker podcast network. So if you go to codebreakeredu.com, not only can you find the beer edu, but there are so many great podcasts, teachers talking, teaching, student-centered world, STEM everyday, teachers on fire, my ed tech life. So please, please go check them out. And Casey, you know this part. We want you to stick around because Kyle, you have a learn about. And as we're recording this, it's a certain time of year, but we're, you know, as this posts, it's kind of winding down. Yeah, a little bit, but it'll still yeah. be summer when we Somewhere. finally do post this. So That's true. Yeah. So summer seems just... to be getting longer. I'm just going to say it. Well, I, I will venture to say that uh, when this does post, uh, it's still going to be super hot summer where I'm at. So <laughs> yes, just 100%. So, so let's talk a little bit about summer beer. So yes. I I literally just Googled this. I you know I mean, I have my own opinions on this, but I wanted to see, was there something out there that would back up this question? So I Googled, what's the best beer for summer? Well, and, and we make, and, and people have listened to this show for a while, we talk about lawnmower beers. To me, a lawnmower beer is a quizessential summertime beer at least at least where we live i mean right. i don't know something those that you, those you live in canada maybe it's cooler there but here labat labat <laughs> yeah. is a good one that was that's a good choice that's, a, that's good call. a great choice right there that's definitely a lawnmower beer but oh, so yeah. when i googled this one of the articles that came up was from a website hopculture.com so i mean right. right there i know i'm in the right place as soon as i see that website <laughs> so so according to hopculture.com in this article, and this was something from summer 2021, maybe they've updated it for 2022 and I just didn't see it. I don't know. But they gave out several styles that are great for beating the summer heat. Okay. And Ben, I know you're going to agree with probably all of these just because we've had this conversation before. Yes. Pilsners. Okay. Great. Just Eastern European yep. Czech style lager, you know, something clean, simple. Um, you know, kind of like your American macro brews. So, right. you know, you know something like that. Um, your Kolsch's, that German lager from the cold Germany region. Um, very good one. Uh, pretty standard lager. Nothing crazy going on with that either. Ben, one of your absolute favorites, the Saison. Oh, yeah. Yes. One of my wife's favorites, too. That is yes. a solid choice. So these were actually brewed specifically to be consumed in the summer. So, I mean, what does that tell you right there? So um, they have a slight little funkiness to them. Uh, so those are always good. Uh, the Belgian style wit beer. So the yeah. wheat ale, those tend to have a little bit of not sourness, but not, not, a, not a funk so much. But um, those are also good. I mean, if you're looking for an American version, kind of like a blue moon. Yeah, I was gonna say it's that it's that style of beer that tends to be on the fruity-ish mm -hmm. side. Yeah, yes, not overpowering. Um, and the website actually referred to the wit beer as sunshine in a can. So, which makes sense. I, mean, I can get on board with that. Um, you and I are both rocking some hazy IPAs today. So again, that that's one they said was a great summertime one. Uh, your juicy, your fruity, your refreshing style IPAs. Those are not overpowering. Um, I can definitely get on board with the session IPA. Um, those are, and the reasoning behind this, they said not so much because, uh, you know, yeah. IPAs typically aren't one you want to drink a lot of when they're, when it's super hot because they get right. uh, 
little powerful, but uh, the session a, part of it, it can be a little chewy sometimes. A little ooh, on that yeah. Yeah. But a session IPA is usually about half the ABV. So talking yes. like three to 4%. So you can crush a few more of those. I, I got a suggestion for you guys because it's yeah. all about my heritage with the last name like Jakubowski. Tisky, T-Y-S-K-I-E. It is one of the oldest Pilsners created in Europe. It's from Poland. Polska. Yeah, yeah. And it is, Tisky is light on the tongue. It tickles okay. the nose. But more importantly, if you have a kubasa in one hand and a tisky in the other... You are living life. There it is. Yep. You're, you're talking call. to someone right now whose grandfather is first generation American. His parents moved here from Poland. So, yes. There I, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Little kielbasa, some sauerkraut, and that. Boy, yeah. I, I can oh, get yeah. on board with that right there. So, oh, right. my grandma used to make some really good pierogies, too. So, yeah. Rye bread around the. Right. Uh, rye bread around the, the kraut and the kielbasa. Yeah. Sauerkraut mm -hmm. and kielbasa. Little bit of Polish mustard on it with oh. the horseradish inside. Oh, 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 I might I have to have option, Josh. Yeah, I know. Now I'm like, yeah, oh, now, now, yeah, I gotta go, now I gotta go find the, the Polish market here. So there it is. Well, so, it, so Kyle, back to the so I'm curious about on the was there anything on there about like so summer beers they tend to be this is just my opinion they tend to be lower IBUs. Would you agree with that? Tend to be lower on the IBUs, tend yeah. to be somewhat lower on the ABV as well. So another one yeah. is the Ellis Lager, uh, another German-style lager. That yeah. It's just a clean, refreshing beer. There's just not anything crazy. Because Reinheitsgebot, the old German purity law, you know, just yes. nothing, nothing extra added into it. And then they also talk a little bit about fruited sours, where sour uh, beers, yeah. you know, real hot out, uh, you know, especially the fruited ones, you know, so just... All of those are, tend to be pretty good examples of beers that can be good in the summer. I will add one. I think a lambic fits into there. Uh, the the Belgian style sour, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, and those things, man, you can crush some of those. Those are only like two percent. Those those can be yeah. You can, those can be kind of dangerous sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing with the sours and the lambics though is that because they're so acidic, is sometimes yeah. after a couple of them, it's uh, yeah. they're kind of they, they go down a little bit harder. They're like. I, I don't want to refer to them as heartburn in a bottle, but yeah. for me, because of the acidity, they, they oh, definitely okay. can be. Right. So. Yeah. As someone who thrives on Sour Patch Kids, I'm like, I'm all in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's my candy of choice. Yeah. So, no, that's, I. That, now I know why my kids and you get along so well. I know. There's what it is. My love of candy. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, the next question is, where are you going to find this stuff? So, oh. of course, check your local breweries. I mean, 100%. anymore, regardless of where you're at, you could be in the smallest town in America. You're going to be within a few miles of a brewery at this yes. point, just the way things are. So, guaranteed, they're going to be making at least one of those styles. Now, granted, if right. they are only making one, it's probably going to be the Hazy IPA, just because that's such a popular style at this point. Right. But um, if you've got a big box alcohol establishment near you, you're definitely going to find probably all of these at that point. And then if hey, you got, your local mini Mart's probably going to have them too. Yeah, very true. And that's, and that was the next one is a good bottle shop where if, you, if you've is. got yeah. a good shop where like, you know, where they put on the sign over 300 beers or something like that, you're definitely going to find a lot of these things there. So, and um, now it was not in the article, but another one that's good for the summer, very popular and, as much fun of them that I made in the past, I'm actually starting to, I don't know if I want to say embrace them, but I'm not, I'm not as down on them as I used to be. And that's the hard seltzer. Those are some of them. Some are better than others for sure. I've had a couple that are absolute trash. They're garbage, but I've had yeah. a couple of them that are pretty darn good actually. Okay. I, I will take your recommendations then. Cause the couple that I've had, I just, there's a, there's a chemical aftertaste. Correct. I won't um, name names, but there's a couple that no, are very popular. There is one made by a very popular Mexican beer brand that, in my opinion, was just not good at all. There's okay. an American big box brew that makes some that are not real good either. But there's some other ones, though, that aren't as, like, big name. I've I've had my, – my wife likes these hard seltzers, so I've had right. people. Mine too. And some of them aren't bad. Some of them are not too bad. 
I and and I'm thinking back. So now we're now I'm totally going down a rabbit hole. My other one, and we've talked about this one, is the I, I won't name names, but your big major beer brand with the line mm. in it already. Yeah, those I think those can be really great summer beers. Not too heavy. Those those yeah. are pretty solid. I used to have those every now and then, but then there was one of that same brewery's major rivals. They had one too that it wasn't the light version of the beer. It was the oh. full. Yeah. Yes. And I believe it had the name. Um, the name of it was called Chill. And that one was even yeah. better. Okay. So, but I will say some of those Mexican uh, breweries, though, yes. they kick out the tall boy cans of the yep. ch- chelada style. Yeah. That are just the lime and salt. And those are pretty Double good thumbs up. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then you can never go wrong with a Michelada, though, either. So, well, yeah, then now we're headed down a whole other. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, no, and then, yeah, we're trying to wrap the episode up and we're yeah. expanding we it. We can have a conversation about brunch and then what you can have with that, too. So, yes. that's a whole other show. <laughs> Absolutely. So, we'll save that for another episode. So. There it is. Well, All Casey, right, so, yeah, thank Casey. you so much, Casey, for coming on love again. You. I love, love having you on with your, po- you know, your positivity, I think, and your, your outlook it's infectious and and thank you for what you do for education well thank you guys and ben uh and kyle you guys need to go to new york city and try of course uh dogheads out of brooklyn they are a small up and coming ben's like yo and seriously come on up to new york and please uh i'll be your designated driver hey can't go wrong with that. Right so, on, man. Like I said, that whole I I ninety corridor road trip sounds like a lot of fun oh, at yeah. this point. So, and uh, well, that would actually get me back to where I know there's a lot of good Polish food too. After all this conversation, oh, that's about true too. So. I, now that you said that, I'm going to put my daughter on this as she lives in Brooklyn. I'm like, when I come to visit, I need to find a good Polish restaurant. Yes, you you will that's literally good. trip over them. You will literally trip over them. Uh, keep it a for the Ukrainian dissenting Americans thoughts and prayers with y'all. Yes, go, go get some pierogi because it's called pierogi in Poland, pierogi in Ukraine. And uh, don't yell at the Russian uh, Bapsha who's got a little Russian restaurant, it's not her. No, nope. not at all. Great point. So, well, listeners. Thank you, as always, too. We would love yes. to hear your favorite summer beers as well. So, and if it's not something that was on that list, I want to hear it because I just I need to find more beer anyway. So. Yeah, hit us up on Instagram for sure. Yeah, or or Twitter or, or Twitter, wherever. So, yeah. and um, we'll be back with episode one thirty one here pretty soon. And until next time, may the ultimate option. Right on.